Chapters twenty one and twenty two of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty one Thorston. It is astonishing how closely one village resembles another in appearance. The square towered church, the one winding street, the low roofed inn and red tiled cottages isolated by narrow alleys, corn lands and comfortable farms around, and still further the mansions more or less stately of the county families go where you will in the southern countries all the villages are so constituted one description serves for all though on occasions the expanse of the channel introduces a new feature in the landscape thorston was of the same class but in its own opinion had more pretensions to grandeur than its neighbours before the conquest it had been a considerable saxon town and as its name indicates had flourished before the introduction of christianity into england there according to tradition a temple to thor the thunderer had stood on the hill now crowned with the church hence the name of thorstown report said that edward the confessor had built the church but of his work little remained and the present building was due to the piety or fears of a norman baron who wished to expiate his sins after the fashion of those times by erecting a house to some interceding saint in the present instance this church was dedicated to st elfrida the holy daughter of athelstan who renounced her father's court to found a nunnery by the winding river lax famous for salmon as is plainly hinted by its scandinavian appellation yet notwithstanding church and tradition thorston had never since been of much importance and it was now but an ordinary rural village quaint and sleepy from eastbourne the road winding dipping rising and curving like a white snake ran over hill through dale along plain till it ultimately formed the high street of thorston thence it ran again into the country but at this point it made its way between houses thatched and old and toward the centre opened into a market-place adorned by an antique cross the inn of st elfrida with an effigy of the saint for a sign stood on the right of the square fronting the battered cross directly opposite a narrow road led on to the village green at the end of which rose the low hill whereon the church of st elfrida stood amid its trees lower down by the lax could be seen the ruins of her nunnery and a well frequented by her was to be inspected in the near neighbourhood here said the legend she fought with the devil who strove to carry away the tower of the church and being worsted as the demons always were by mother church he dropped the tower a few yards off the main building as a matter of fact the square tower is detached from the church but as has before been stated it was built by the normans long after elfrida was laid to rest but the legend took no account of dates nor did the natives of thorston who would have been highly offended had any one denied the authenticity of their story in confirmation thereof they referred to the guide-book a notable authority truly the whole neighbourhood was full of st elfrida who must have been a busy saint in her day and numerous tourists came to view church and tower and holy well the village derived quite an income from her reputation and valued the saint accordingly amid ancient oaks stood the grey church with its detached tower around lichened tombstones leaned over one another and rank grass grew up to the verge of the low stone wall which ran like a battlement round the crest of the little hill a flight of rugged steps led up to the lich gate and here stood a pretty girl in converse with frank linton alias john parver it was a hot summer's day and the golden light piercing through the foliage of the trees enveloped the girl in a glittering haze she was extremely pretty dark-eyed dark-haired with a complexion of roses and lilies and as neat a figure as was ever seen 
envious people said that miss Paynton pinched her waist but such was not the case for she was too careless of her appearance and too careful of her health to sacrifice the latter to the former as a matter of fact she appreciated brains more than beauty and much preferred to exercise the first in clever conversation than to be complimented on the second linton who had known her for many years skilfully combined the two modes of paying homage to his divinity that he received hard words in return was to be expected for jenny knew her power over the youth and liked to exercise it she was the least vain of mortals but could not hide from herself that she was clever and pretty and therefore entitled to indulge in coquetry you grow more beautiful every day jenny said linton who had lately arrived from town and was making up for lost time and you more stupid retorted miss Paynton, climbing up the low wall where she sat and smiled at him from under her straw hat if you have come here to pay me compliments you can go away again i want you to talk sense not nonsense what shall i talk about as if there were any question of that said she in supreme disdain are you not famous now tell me of your success you know about it already i sent you all the papers a whim of fate is the book of the season oh just think of that now oh lucky lucky frank so young and successful you ought to be happy i am happy because i now see a chance of making you my now you are talking nonsense cried jenny ruthlessly interrupting him i won't hear a word more you ridiculous boy you are my brother nothing more but don't talk about it frank be sensible come now you have not yet told me how your father received the news oh he is pleased of course said linton unwillingly changing the subject but he reserves his opinion till he has read the book if he doesn't like it he'll very likely order me to stop writing i'm sure he won't said jenny promptly you'll make more as an author than as a lawyer no doubt if you continue to supply me with such excellent plots i wish i had your invention jenny it was not invention you know that quite well i found an account of the trial in an old bundle of provincial newspapers i couldn't have made up such a story jenny asked linton with some apprehension has your father read the book no i asked him to do so but he refuses to read novels history is what he likes kings and dates and battles father wouldn't waste a minute over fiction i hope he won't be angry at your giving me the plot jenny miss Paynton stared at him in surprise and burst into a merry laugh his objection seemed supremely ridiculous to her at that moment my dear boy why should he the account of an old murder case can have nothing to do with him i found the papers in the garret among a heap of old books i don't suppose he knows of their existence it was a real case wasn't it yes it took place at horriston in eighteen sixty six but of course the public need not know that well i told someone about it oh you are an idiot frank or else added jenny more graciously you are very honest i suppose you explained that the story was founded on fact yes who asked you about it three people an old gentleman and two young men what are their names asked jenny curiously i forget the third one was called tate i think but i don't remember the names of the other two it doesn't matter you know continued the novelist hastily 
lots of authors found their plots on episodes in real life oh it's of no consequence said jenny idly i suppose they thought the plot was too clever for you to invent at all events the credit is due to you for solving the mystery ah but did i solve it properly do you think michael dean committed the crime no i don't rejoined jenny promptly i think jerringham did jerringham who is he i forgot said jenny with some dismay i did not tell you the real names of the people jerringham is the man you call markham in the book if you remember i wanted you to make him commit the crime if i had done so no one would have read the book protested the author his flight made it so patent that he was guilty and i had to put the crime on to someone like dean whom no reader would suspect do you think that markham jerringham really committed the murder yes i do if he was innocent why did he fly was he ever found again asked linton with some curiosity never it is five-and-twenty years ago since the murder was committed and it is a mystery to this day i'd like to read that newspaper report for myself said the author after a pause could you not let me see it jenny shook her head i'm afraid not she replied guiltily you see carrie found me with the papers one day and took them away he was very angry and said i had no business to look at them my stars cried linton in a startled tone what will he say when he finds out that you and i have made use of them he won't find out replied jenny jumping down off the wall carrie never reads novels and no one will tell him oh it's quite safe frank quite safe i'm not so sure of that jenny my father will talk about my book to mr Paynton, and he'll tell carrie well what if he does cried jenny skipping down the steps i'm sure i don't care if carrie does know who cares for a musty fusty old crime of five-and-twenty years ago don't trouble about it frank i'll take the blame linton walked on in silence beside her and they entered the market-place on their way to the vicarage he was beginning to have some qualms about the matter carrie had a very bad temper and linton was by no means anxious to encounter him i wish we had left it alone he said gloomily pausing by the cross in the square nonsense don't be a moral coward said jenny pettishly i'll take blame on myself carrie can't kill me be at this point she was interrupted by a dog-cart containing two young men which spun past rapidly the driver took off his hat to miss Paynton with a smile oh said jenny composedly when the vehicle had vanished there is our new lord of the manor mr tate why those are the two fellows who questioned me about my story cried linton are they yes you mentioned the name of tate said jenny quietly but what does it matter what a fuss you make over nothing jenny said linton solemnly there is going to be trouble over that story miss Paynton stared at him in surprise then pointed an accusing finger at him francis linton she said slowly you are a silly fool if ever i help you again in your writing i give you leave to marry me then she ran away and left him dumbfounded in the market-place but she was by no means so light-hearted as she appeared to be 
carrie's anger the questions of the two strangers made her feel uneasy and she thought it would have been better had she left the provincial newspapers in the garret but fate decided otherwise and jenny Payton, though she knew it not was an unconscious instrument to revive interest in a forgotten case to solve a mystery of five-and-twenty years and to bring an unknown criminal to justice life is a chessboard we are the puppets and fate plays the game twenty two in the church thorston manor built in broad meadowland about a quarter of a mile from the village was now the property of spencer tate he had purchased it lately at a small price from old miss falcar the last representative of that ancient family she unable to maintain the house in its original splendour got quit of it altogether in this way and shortly afterward took up her quarters at eastbourne leaving the house of her ancestors in the possession of a stranger the house itself was of no great pretensions or age dating only from the second george a square red-brick mansion only redeemed from actual ugliness by the mellow beauty of its hues the grounds themselves were better and the trees best of all an avenue curved nobly to the gate which gave on the high road and to the right of this fronting the house was a delightful garden laid out in the dutch fashion there were yew-trees cut into quaint shapes stiff and formal hedges running in straight lines and beds of old-fashioned flowers a fountain a summer-house and a statue or two completed the furniture of this pleasant ground to which tate introduced his friend with unconcealed pride i paid for this he said looking round as they paced the broad walks by itself the house is a monstrosity only rendered endurable by its years but you must confess that the garden is worth the money it is certainly quaint replied larcher looking around with an absent air but i do not care for nature and buckram the formality of this place offends my eye ah my dear fellow you have been used to the wildness of new zealand woods of late you will find these grounds grow on you i shall leave you alone this afternoon to make the attempt indeed said larcher in some surprise at this cavalier treatment and what do you intend to do i am going to church to church on a weekday oh i am not bent on devotion claude but miss Payton is the organist of the parish to-day is wednesday when she is accustomed to practice between three and five i propose to see her there why can't you guess to forestall her with illiston that gentleman is at eastbourne and will probably come over to-day or to-morrow to ask jenny to hold her tongue as we can't afford to run such a risk i must get all i can out of her to-day can i come also no replied tate promptly it would be necessary for me to introduce you what of that does it matter it matters a great deal miss Payton has we believe obtained the plot of linton's novel from a report of the trial she will know the name of larcher and when she hears that you are called so she will probably take fright and hold her tongue but why should she think i have anything to do with the case your own name your guardians answered tate quietly both are mentioned in the report of the trial oh i assure you jenny is a clever girl and knows that two and two make four she will put this and that together with the result that nothing will be gained by the interview well well go alone said claude crossly though i envy you the chance she is a pretty girl from the glimpse i caught of her and as wise as she is pretty laughed tate 
i will need all my wits to deal with her now is it settled yes you go to your organist and i'll potter about these green alleys and think myself an abbey of louis fourteenth's time having come to this amicable understanding they went in to luncheon after which tate gave claude a sketch of the people in the neighbourhood later on he sent him into the dutch garden with a cigar and a book then betook himself by a short cut through the park to the church of st elfrida shortly after four he entered the main door and found himself in the aisle listening to the rolling notes of the organ there was no attempt at decoration in that church for the vicar was broad in his views and hating all ritualism from his soul a pride in keeping the edifice bare and unadorned the heavy arches of grey stone the whitewashed walls with here and there a mural tablet the plain communion table under the single stained glass window nothing could be less attractive only the deep hues of roof and pews the golden pipes of the organ and the noble lectern with its brazen eagle preserved the church from looking absolutely irreverent through the glazed windows of plain glass poured in the white light of day so that the interior lacked the reverent gloom most fitted to the building and the marks of time were shown up in what might be termed a cruel manner of old st elfridas had been rich in precious marbles in splendid altars and gorgeous windows many hued and elaborate but the puritans had destroyed all these and reduced the place to its present bareness which the vicar took a pride in preserving it seemed a shame that so noble a monument of norman architecture should be so neglected the red curtains of the organ loft hid the player but tate knew that it was jenny by the touch and sat down in a pew to wait till she had finished her practising one piece followed the other and the stately music vibrated among the arches in great bursts of sound a march an anthem an offertory till tate almost fell asleep lulled by the drone of the pipes at length jenny brought her performance to an end and having dismissed the boy who attended to the bellows tripped down the aisle with a music-book under her arm she looked as fresh and pink as a rose but quite out of place in that bare bleak building toward her tate advanced with a bow here i am you see miss Bainton," he said shaking her by the hand i heard your music and could not help coming in to listen i hope you do not mind my intrusion oh the lord of the manor can go anywhere said jenny demurely i am glad to see you again mr tate the second time to-day is it not yes i drove past you in the market-place if i remember rightly won't you sit down miss Painton, and give me all the news i am terribly ignorant of local gossip i assure you nothing loath the girl seated herself in a pew near the door and occupied herself in fixing her glove remembering the conversation with linton she was slightly uneasy at tate's very direct request but thinking that it could not possibly have anything to do with the plot of linton's novel resigned herself to circumstances before the conversation ended she wished that she had refused to speak to tate at that moment but it was then too late news she repeated with a laugh do we ever have any news in this dreary place i should rather ask you for news mr tate who are fresh from london oh but no doubt our young author has already told you all that is worth hearing said tate deftly leading up to his point he has been quite the lion of the season yes he has been very fortunate replied jenny carefully she did not relish the sudden introduction of this forbidden subject and he owes it to you i believe to me good gracious mr tate what have i to do with frank's success 
according to what he says everything what do you mean she said sitting up very straight with a deeper colour than usual on her cheek why said tate looking directly at her and thereby adding to her confusion frank told me that you supplied the plot of a whim of fate and what if i did mr tate oh nothing only i must compliment you on your shall we say selection or invention the former replied jenny with extraordinary quickness since frank makes no secret of it why should i the plot was told him by me and i found it set forth as a trial in a newspaper of eighteen sixty six hm in the canterbury observer i believe how do you know that is the name of the paper she asked in a nervous tone i learned it from the same source that supplied me with the history of the larcher affair what you also know the name of the case as you see frank does not know it i did not show him the papers i suppressed all names when i told the story she said incoherently but now you-you i know all yes you are right observed tate complacently i am better acquainted with the plot of a whim of fate than john parver himself jenny sat looking at him in a kind of wild amazement from the significance of his tone the extent of his knowledge she vaguely felt that something was wrong again the anger of carrie the conversation of linton came into her mind and she saw into what difficulty the chance telling of that ancient crime had led her tate noticed that she was perplexed and frightened so dexterously strove to see her more at ease by making a clean breast of it and enlisting her sympathy for claude you saw the friend who was with me in the cart miss Payton. yes who is he claude larcher claude L what do you mean mr tate i am in the dark i do not understand have i done anything wrong in-in in telling the case to linton finished tate smoothly by no means as a matter of fact you have done my friend a service he is called larcher who is he she asked again with an effort he is the son of george larcher who was murdered at horriston in eighteen sixty six chapters twenty one and twenty two